I'm Gene, and this is Perfect Flow. I'm a New Zealand-based athlete and coach focused on optimizing performance, health, and well-being. While I have a professional background in biomedical engineering, I've chosen to follow my more immediate passions for running, endurance, adventure, movement, nutrition, lifestyle, community, psychology, and personal growth. My goal in starting this podcast is to connect with bright minds to extract the information I need to live a life that makes sense and feels good, and share those conversations with others. Apart from your favorite podcast app, the best places to follow my work are perfectflow.nz, genebeverage.nz, and perfectflow on Facebook. Hi everyone, welcome back to Perfect Flow. Today I'm talking with a Finnish orienteer, Pasi Ikinen. And Pasi and I haven't really been in any common circles before. He actually just reached out to me online last week and we started a conversation about the true challenge of orienteering. Why is it so difficult and what exactly is so difficult about orienteering? And in this podcast, we're hoping to outline some different ways of thinking about the challenge of orienteering and bring in some more psychological framings of the difficulty as opposed to a technical navigation framing of the difficulty. So if that's not making much sense to you, well, I think listen on. But before we do get into it, I do want to ref- I do want to share this blog post that we refer to. It's a blog post I did uh, last year after Australian... Uh, Oceania Championships in Australia. It's about the long distance. I got second at Oceania long distance on the back of not really much training and I'd been sick that whole week. I was not sick on race day. I felt fine on race day, but um, I'd been, you know, underprepared. I had a lot of things stacked against me, but I came out in fairly, in a fairly good way out of some very tough terrain, very unfamiliar terrain as well. So that was stacked against me. I hadn't been in this area, hadn't been in Australia for a long time. <clears throat> the map is Kangaroo Crossing. And uh, those who have run there will, of course, never forget. It's an incredible area. And you can uh, see the, the blog post in the description. For those of you who are just listening don't have the description, it's genebeverage.nz slash three points on long distance orienteering. That's the number three, three points on long distance orienteering. And there's dashes uh, between all the words. And maybe it's just easier to jump into my website and it's actually on the homepage. If you scroll down a little bit, you'll see it there titled three points on long distance orienteering. So these are the passages I wanted to share from that blog post. So the first point uh, I made in this in this blog post is about knowing your fitness level, and this is especially true for long distance orienteering. It is designed to be long enough that fatigue is a major problem, and this is something that I've proven to be really effective strategy in my trail running racing, and that's asking yourself at all times, can I maintain this pace for the required duration? So if the race is going to be two hours long or an hour forty five or whatever, this long distance orienteering had to be, I was asking myself from the very start, can I maintain this pace for two hours or an hour 45 or whatever I was expecting it to take? And if not, you have to slow down, right? And it was pretty clear looking at the splits early on, I was well off the pace, 
well off the pace of the leaders early on. But then I caught all that up in the later half just by them getting tired. And I caught even more of that up because there's this cliff you fall off when you get real tired that uh, you, you stack it big time and you hit, hit the wall, so to speak. So that's the, that's the first point that I made. The second point is working with the conditions. Again, long distance orienteering has a huge physical component. And this was a really hot day. So I'll just read, read a bit um, as I've written it. There was a hot day on race day, around 30 degrees. Combined with the length of the race, this was always going to be a challenge to overcome. I'm very good with hydration, making sure I have adequate salts in my diet the previous days and balancing that with water. I find that just drinking to thirst, which is a good strategy for, I think, the a lot of these longer ultra races, you know, a, a rule of thumb is just drink when you're thirsty, don't overdo it. I find that just drinking to thirst leaves me slightly too little water on board, so I make a conscious effort to take on a little bit uh, more water after dinner and the first thing in the morning. So I drink a little bit more than just to thirst. I am to pee clear urine at least an hour before the race. You don't need to go beyond that point. In fact, going well beyond that point by drinking a very large amount of water is counterproductive and your body may have trouble maintaining salt levels. So that's really important for, I think, long distance. If you're low in fuel and low in fluids and or low in salt, then your body will tie up very suddenly and very disastrously. So the third point I wanted to make is on the navigation strategy. And this is most important for the conversation that Pasi and I have. And it's really what triggered off this whole conversation between the two of us and what he was so interested in. Like, of course he agrees with the other points, but it's it's not the the really deep point on the true challenge of orienteering that interests us. I'll read this paragraph. The third point is on navigation strategy that I will always employ in types of terrain that I'm unfamiliar with. The strategy is to reduce risk and aim for consistency by selecting safe routes. Of course, it always makes sense to take safer route choices if all of the things are equal. But the key to success here is to be disciplined enough to invest the time to plan the route choices ahead of time. Telling yourself to take safe route choices as you stand on the start line is not worth anything. What you actually need to do is come to grips with intentionally sacrificing a little bit of running speed every now and again to look at critical legs later on in the course. Alternatively, make it your intention to stop at a control until you have completely planned the next route choice. Either way, the barrier to success here is not the intention to stay safe. So that's it's not being quizzed at the finish line about should you be safe or not safe. Passing that test, passing that quiz is worth nothing. That's what I'm saying. The barrier here is not the intention to stay safe. It is overcoming the sense of urgency to keep pushing hard at all times, to keep pushing hard at every single moment when the clock is ticking. And this take to, to, if that makes a lot of sense to you, great. For those people who are not, still not quite sure what I'm getting at, I think you need to start by looking closely at your own mind when you're orienteering. Those moments when you should have been planning ahead in a long distance race and weren't, what was going on in your head? Where were your emotions at? Was it the stress of the race with the other competitors around you? Why were you feeling so 
urgent about having to run at full speed in that just for that second or for those 10 seconds what was driving you to be so urgent about your running speed in those 10 seconds that you couldn't take that time to plan ahead more and you need to look at that really carefully because it's no good being able to tell me what it was the use and understanding this is so that you can recognize it as it's happening you can realize whoa just then i made a split second decision to start pushing on and start pushing hard despite not really knowing what the whole plan is being able to notice that in one second is really useful because then you can you've you've only took, taken a risk for one second but not really noticing that at all and coming to the end of the leg and totally blowing it up can cost you a lot and it's no good just saying oh i should have taken a safer route if you can't notice what is happening psychologically and what is driving you to not be safe because it's not the knowledge of whether to be safe or not safe that's putting you at a disadvantage you know to be safe i'm sure unless you're <laughs> telling me now hey gene i hate being safe i'm sure everyone agrees that you want to be safe but being able to know exactly what it feels like psychologically to make that step to actually read the map in advance i think is the trick and i know this is um, definitely hard to explain and it's that i think that this mainly the english language i think that's making it hard to explain we don't have the best words to describe kind of the the experience of thoughts popping in and out of our conscious minds so happy to talk about this in any other um, future episode but i think Pasi and i go into um, the main challenges of of orienteering both long middle sprint and relay and we talk about his elite career a little bit but yeah this is what the episode focuses on and you might hear us referring back to this blog post so hope you enjoy this conversation on the true challenge of orienteering Thanks, Pasi, for joining me on Perfect Flow. Is this your first time doing a podcast like this? Yeah, very first time. And thanks for the invitation. Nice to be here. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty cool. It's yes, yeah, it still feels like the first time for me uh, a number of times, and this is the first time that I've done one quite as spontaneous as this. So you just reached out um, out of the blue, and here we are. So. Um, we yeah we're, we're interested to talk about orienteering and how you see the challenge of orienteering and uh, hopefully we can break it down a little bit further than what the most obvious challenges are which is navigating and running and break it down into some of the more the more mental and um, yeah, psychological aspects but first i know most of the new zealand listeners especially the younger ones will not know who you are so okay. if we can yeah, wind things back a little bit and tell us yeah, who you are, where you're from, and um, yeah, what got you into orienteering and where it eventually took you. Yeah, hello to, hello to everyone. I'm Basse Ikonen, already 40 years old, and uh, I won the World Champs when I was 21 years old. It was the first year 
as an adult orienteer and somehow managed to win already at that age. Um, I was born in Vihanti, it's a small place in middle of Finland. Finland is quite a big country as well. And uh, now I'm living in Turku, which is in South Finland. And uh, behind the, my birthplace is pretty much far away up to north. Cool. <laughs> Others' opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm a, I would say I'm a farm. Um, not, not a city person, even yeah. though I, I've been living in city for a long time. Yeah. When did you first discover orienteering? I was only three years old. Yeah. Just follow, following my mother in the yeah. woods. Yeah, same as me actually. My my parents did it, and yeah, kind of just got. But it was always the thing we did on the weekends, uh, go orienteering. Uh, and when did you decide that you really liked it and wanted to push hard and train hard? I think I was doing competitive orienteering already at eight years. Okay. And then yeah. uh, decided to be to to be at top when I was fifteen. Yeah. So I had a lot, lot of other sports activities before that alongside orienteering. Yep. And what does the system look like for you guys over there? Do you just stay with with clubs? Is the competition good enough just with local clubs, or do you have to get into like a squad to start traveling? Uh it's good good enough. But nowadays the sport is getting bit, bit uh, it's not that big anymore mm-hmm. in Finland somehow the competitiveness has has been uh, smaller all okay. the big, big sports it's, it's taking to big masses okay so is that the, the total number of club members has been declining over the years yeah I would say that yeah. at least in, in uh, younger classes Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah yeah there are but so many still, so many new sports popping up all over the place yeah all sorts yeah, of interesting exactly. things so that's no surprise that uh, everyone spreads out across all the different sports mm-hmm. Sweet. and what was the experience with um, the junior junior teams did you go to junior european cup and um, what was the state of jaywalk when you were uh, at that age there were no European champs back then, but uh, I was elected to Junior World Champs in '98, so I did three Junior World Champs altogether. Mm-hmm. And the uh, first one <laughs> didn't go so well. It was in France, and some Thierry Chorchou was pretty hard there. <laughs> but I got a silver medal from there, and uh, then I could see that maybe I, I can do really well in world class as well mm-hmm. and i got some medals in junior world champs sweet so without junior european cup what was the previous the biggest race before jaywalk and how did you handle that step up because for a lot of us coming from new zealand like even the biggest races we have here and even in australia just don't get us close to the mental and emotional preparation required for something as big as jaywalk both in terms of the personal pressure that athletes put on themselves 
and also just the size of the crowds and the number of other fast looking competitors. It's, it's overwhelming for us. So how, how did you feel coming into that? What were the races that you'd done previously and how did they prepare you for jaywalk? Mm, it's interesting question. Maybe the level of the competitions in Finland was high enough in yeah. some way. And we did uh, Unila and those big uh, relays. Mm-hmm. It also helped quite a lot to deal with the stress in big competitions. But in the other hand, the first Zaywalk was really far uh, difficult for me mm-hmm. to prepare. And I think it's the same for the young young kids in Finland at the moment too. Yeah. Yeah. And then your your movement on to uh, the senior senior classes was the Finnish team really strong at the time when you were moving through? Yeah. But uh, I was talented enough and did some really hard work towards my orienteering techniques. So I was uh, good enough to make the breakthrough. And were you with a strong club as well? Yeah, there was a big club in northern Finland called Esko Pohjantähti and uh, there was a high level competition inside the club, some old rock medalists and uh, wanted to beat them straight away. So yeah, <laughs> it wow, helped. That's, that's cool. It helped, helped to develop myself too. Yep. What kind of training did stuff did you guys do as a club? Uh, lots of uh, relay trainings and of course individual trainings against each other. It was quite old-fashioned training back then. Okay, what's the difference? Uh, 10k in the morning and 10k in the evening. Just okay. <laughs> orienteering and football between them. Soccer <laughs> yeah. as a ter- third training. So did you guys just get time on the map or did you have like breakdown of techniques and like the putting different emphasis, putting an emphasis on certain techniques for the kind of training you were doing, or was it just going out and trying to be as perfect as possible? Uh, yeah, we of course had control picking trainings and root choice trainings and uh, contours only maps and uh, yeah, those pressure trainings like uh, starting together and uh, trying to figure out who, who is the best one in relay trainings. Those were, of course, important. Yeah, we've noticed that we are tending to do more mass start and high pressure training stuff now to better prepare us for what it's like uh, overseas because the psychological stress is higher when you put everyone together on the start line. So I yeah. guess that's yeah really important for, for you guys and really helps with the relays and all the club events you guys have. Yeah, and I would emphasize uh, chasing starts as well. So oh, yeah. The pressure when you start as first, mm-hmm. it's a pretty important uh, skill to master because others will hunt you and <laughs> yeah. you, you need to do the job perfectly. Yeah, it's a really tough one where 
we tend to do uh, i think too much individual individual stuff and not enough um high pressure stuff head to head but where i think yeah we do a lot more do a lot more now at at the elite level yeah so how was um the rest of your elite career like bursting onto the scene as as a young guy i imagine you were something similar to what happened to casper fossa recently and uh, suddenly gets all this fame quite quickly and it'll be interesting to see whether it's possible you know for, for someone that young to continue to improve or whether they've just you know aged age early and now it's <laughs> like plateau how was your career oh it was pretty good for one year yeah and, uh, then i had this plateau effect and started to figure out what what is going on and i was doing pretty well in some races but um, like uh, the year after i won world champs I was doing really well in World Cup. I was leading the World Cup before the wow. last round pretty clearly. But then on the final uh, round with 11 competitions, my best best result was 24th or something. <laughs> and I was I ended up fourth in World Cup total. Mm-hmm. So that was a big mess. <laughs> okay, what what went but, wrong? Uh I don't know actually. I had some minor injury, but still I could do the relays on that round really well. I was fastest in both relays, and we won European champs. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow I just uh, pushed too hard, maybe in, in the individual races. Yep. So putting yourself under too much physical stress caused you to make technical mistakes. Yeah, I think it's, it was all about that. Just yeah. forgot that uh, you need to take it easy in tricky places. Yeah. So is is that about um, starting with too much too much pressure or too much confidence? Do you recall um, what the experience of like being at the peak of your career and then um, kind of messing it up was like? Hmm. Maybe I have built some kind of too too good uh, self confidence and just um, couldn't handle all these situations because I I was doing so well for one year so mm-hmm. it was tricky <laughs> tricky to handle that you can't yeah. just uh, go into controls with full speed all the time. Yeah, in my experience, I definitely perform better when my confidence is lower. And that's not to say the times when I'm best prepared, but it's the times when I'm most stressed about uh, making large technical mistakes. When I'm most concerned, I should say, most concerned, and I feel I feel vulnerable in some way, and I feel like there's uh, I'm at risk. And then I concentrate a lot harder in those situations. I find that, yeah, if I'm, if I'm afraid of making um a big mistake i actually like take take action to prevent that but when i'm really confident i get quite cocky and just try to be the fastest runner and then sometimes that works and sometimes that that doesn't work do you notice something similar yeah i i agree with you totally and um, the sport is very complex and sometimes you find this flow for 
long periods inside one performance and sometimes it's all about getting concerned and getting focused to every control and both are fine i think yeah yeah i think that 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 flow really starts working i think if you've done a lot in the same type of terrain like we've got some a lot of quite repetitive terrain in new zealand and some of us got really good at it and we could notice that like our gps routes afterwards were just so good and so straight and our confidence was just getting higher and higher and we'd read the map less and less it was amazing how little we could read the map and still still get everything perfect but then i would go over to europe right and jump in in the finished terrain and um you have to have to readapt quite a lot and then that that confidence is is really bad because um, things don't stand out as obvious you can't just run through the terrain not read the map for hundreds of meters and then like see a feature and just recognize it straight away whereas probably the opposite is true for you guys you're so practiced at exactly how your terrain is mapped that you can have that state of flow where everything is just so obvious and everything is just working and perfectly in place mm, but we do those parallel mistakes here as well mm -hmm. if, if we don't read enough yep. to map and uh, of course we are also in difficulties in continental terrains and those hilly terrains you have in New Zealand because the big slopes are, aren't really our <laughs> power, power, powerful <clears throat> yeah. skills. That's not something you practice quite as much. And so mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it's indicating that it's that, that practice that makes uh, things, makes the habits more permanent and the repetition that enables you to do stuff on race day uh, without thinking quite as much as you might have to if you if you um, weren't so used to the terrain um, it's it's not that you're doing less I think a lot of a lot of things that you're doing become very autonomous and you are maybe doing them but you're not putting in all this conscious effort to actually get them done yeah might be true but we have done the ba basic work at yep. least I have done a lot of hours in my uh, childhood and my younger years uh, in every kind of terrain mm -hmm. terrains. but now nowadays it's more or less autonomous yep yep do you notice that uh, how long it might take you to get used to a type of terrain you haven't been on for say a season say you hadn't been to czech republic for a year do you notice how many runs it will take you to get more in tune or have you traveled enough now over the years that you can just jump into a new terrain and it comes back to you straight away next year's world champs will be really difficult i've been uh, yeah. thinking about this terrain and could i use my previous experiences from that kind of terrain and i'm not really sure about that because it's so complicated mm -hmm. terrain but definitely i would master it within two weeks yeah so that's... i'm a quick learner still mm -hmm. and, and what does mastering the terrain feel like for you uh, it's really important to see which controller 
information is important there because contours are the most important information on the map. And then, secondly, you would uh, need a clear vision which other objects are visible and uh, uh, you, you kind of get your orienting more simplified and quicker to execute. And of course, lastly, which are the most uh, difficult places where you really need to ease up your pace a mm. bit. Okay. So you're noticing in advance the areas that are most dangerous. Yeah. I think that has been my strength. Mm. Yeah. I remember that was something that I picked up um, when I was, when I was younger. I think we all get taught like some sort of like process to do in our heads. Like you need to choose the the root choice and then find the attack point. I'm not sure if you guys use the same word, same words in if it translates to finish or not. But you'd find you'd like first do the root choice and then you'd decide on um, what attack point you'd use, which is the last big feature before the control, and then you'd decide on uh, check exactly where the control is placed uh, on the map, and then the last thing you do is check your direction out of the control. And you do all this planning stuff at the start of the leg and you get taught this like routine to do yeah. over and over again. Um, and yeah, I found that wasn't really working for me very often. And I think the thing that I was missing is an assessment of the difficulty. So before I do any of that stuff, just like, is this a leg that I could screw up big time? Or is this easy anyway? And I think if it was difficult, then I would spend extra time getting getting that process right. And if it was easy, I'd spend less time. I would just just wing it because I, I I can run run fast, and you feel like you can run faster on some time on the bits where you where there's less risk, and then when there's more risk, you intentionally run slower. And it feels okay to run slower if you know that like you already got some extra speed earlier in the course on some easy easy controls. Uh, I, sure. it, but that's the way. Yeah, I, I managed to get that get that to work. Just assessing the difficulty first. Mm -hmm. I would add to this uh, long <laughs> speech of you that uh, my idea of uh, taking to controls is nowadays or has been already 10 years the idea that you don't have just one attack point you should mm -hmm. have multiple attack points at least two before the control and something behind the control or sides of the control. You just basically ask where is the control and then you gather the information uh -huh. based so on the map. So what's the purpose in that? Is that so that you can come at the control from with a degree of flexibility? So you're yeah. not exactly sure, you know, you're just kind of going fast and you might be slightly left, slightly right. But yeah, you've got two attack points, and you just pick one, whatever you hit. Yeah, and it helps you to make the direction towards next control as well. You kind of know the neighborhood of the control. Interesting. Mm. That's really interesting. And I guess that makes it a bit safer. Like, the more attention you've spent really understanding the terrain around the control circle, maybe the more yeah. aggressive you can be going yeah, into it. Like, you're, you're never going to just miss a control if you really understand the control circle you should recognize everything when you hit it yeah 
of course it takes a lot of time but you can do it easily on the um, more runnable um, parts of the lake like running on path or easy terrain check out the map carefully before entering the control uh, taking face so like that that sounds reasonable but i think this goes back to what you were reading in that blog post i wrote why is that so hard like you're telling someone to read the map more i mean like obviously like we need to read the map more but i think that to me is is the the core challenge is actually not uh the at least in, at least in long distance the core challenge is not actually um what the process is i think where we maybe have different processes and they're similar and they all probably work as long as you do your own process quite well but the challenge mm -hmm. is actually having the discipline to exactly. do that planning ahead so yeah mm -hmm. describe because I, I described it in my way and i'll um you know I, people who listen to me are probably familiar with the way i describe it but yeah describe it in your words where is that challenge and maybe we can go on to middle distance and sprint as something separate because i think long distance emphasizes this in a different way yeah i would put it like this in long distance race you have those moments that now i have time to check this map or i have time to put some more effort finding the next controls you don't have to plan the whole course there just check that this is safe place to look at beforehand some control picking stuff or next route choice mm -hmm. difficult so some detailed choice. yeah some detailed area like work out some detailed part yeah just um, you need to be or you have the freedom to be flexible during all legs that's my idea mm -hmm. still disciplined to do everything well but still you you are free to do everything with the map all the time there's no uh, reason to push physically mm -hmm. just as hard as you want of course it's important to move as fast as you can but still you have the freedom to look at the map basically all the time mm -hmm. and by look at the map you mean not just keep contact but start planning plan, stuff ahead, plan ahead. well ahead yeah. yeah of course it's very difficult and i don't do it 100 percent correctly all the mm -hmm. time but that that's the ideal in my opinion so what kind of things are you looking for when you're you've got a, got some time you're in a not so detailed area maybe you're running on a road or a track following something safe what are the kind of things that you like to spend that time doing mm. i want to focus on how my uh my, how my route is faster that's the first thing and mm -hmm. still getting it done safely so i need objects that are visible that i can locate and on map uh, safely i i can be 100 percent sure that those are the features i will see 
I will locate and I know beforehand <laughs> that that mm. goes out then. Cool. So yeah, making it safe, like reducing the chance of anything going wrong. You're trying to support like your future self with yeah. all these all these supports. Mm. And how, how far yeah. ahead is it worth planning? Uh, I would say that it's up to you, and you are free to plan the whole course of the time. Mm. But in my case, I, I've been uh, concentrating all the time uh, in the cu current leg I'm running, sometimes checking the next long leg or stuff like that. But basically the idea is to find the fastest route all the time. Mm -hmm. and still to make sure that it's, it's the safest it's the fastest and the safest <laughs> route yeah yeah i think that's what i remember from from that race that i wrote the blog post on the oceania championships last year in australia i i, I focused really strongly on trying to find the safest the safest routes that weren't obviously way too far around yeah. and yeah, it was interesting because there were a lot of times where you could plan ahead and yeah, investing that time to, to look ahead. And it didn't necessarily give me, yeah, like it means I, I definitely didn't have a bad route, bad routes. Mm -hmm. I spent enough time to not have a bad routes and the route I did have, I made sure I understood it really well and made sure it was really safe. So I think maybe that's an example of, yeah, what you were, what you were saying. They had a, a tricky bit with a map flip and then you, you picked up the new piece of paper and it was the start of the longest leg on the race. So you had, you had no planning time. And it was like you could go 180 degrees out of that out of that start triangle. Like there was a big, big choice straight away. Um, yeah. But apart, apart from situations like that, hmm. yeah, I think you can plan ahead the, the whole course. I think there's there's time and maybe that's where it's different to middle distance yeah is there anything else you wanted to to say about the the true challenge of of long distance orienteering is there maybe something else about fatigue that also complicates this yeah i would like to add this technical point still that my biggest mistakes in long distance has been always related to, to this dilemma that I want to f find the fastest route. Mm -hmm. and I, I have been conscious that the safest route is, is the best for me, but still choose to make that dangerous <laughs> fastest route. Okay. And that means like you're trying to get the fastest split time all the on, time on each leg. Yeah. You're exactly trying to be number one you, on every leg. What, yeah. What you wrote in your text. And uh, yeah. that's the ideal we are working, but no one has done it <laughs> so far. Even though <laughs> yeah. Thierry was Thierry Sorsu was very close to master of those. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He must have been pretty close to the Superman times yeah. um, sometimes. But yeah, I mean, even even he likes to talk about the safety and 
yeah. perhaps he's running he's running so fast because he feels so confident and and so safe exactly so again yeah safety comes first mm. but in in middle distance you can be pretty damn aggressive all the time okay so so tell me about middle distance because i struggle with middle distance to be honest um there's there's some barrier there that i'm pushing against that doesn't happen in in long distance and i'm not entirely sure whether it's like an information processing there's like too much information too quickly and i just can't can't handle it or whether i'm too aggressive and thinking about running too much it's hard to know what what the difference is so teach me enlighten me what why is middle distance like some people can smash it and just like smash it every time like what am i missing uh I have been doing coaching for middle distance for uh, some uh, men and women at your <laughs> state, and uh, it's really difficult to say why some can master it almost straight away without coaching. But uh, I would suggest you do. Just start taking it easy at every control. Make it in and out routines. There is, for example, talking that you enter when you see the control flag. Just don't rush into the control. Mm -hmm. Take your time to, time to plan the next leg already before punch. Oh, it's so hard, man! <laughs> what <are> you yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you see the flag, then you instantly <laughs> attack to the. Yeah. Once the control. But yeah, I would start with this uh, because it's just uh, like flowing in the terrain. Even though I said it, you can be pretty aggressive, but uh, it's uh, at the best, it's uh, like flowing all the time and still having a really fast pace. Mm -hmm. So that's the first priority is just always kind of know where you're going next so that you can keep a, a steady, a steady flow going. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. So where does the aggression come into it? Because if, and what, what is aggression? I think is, is maybe the first question to ask, uh, answer. Is that pushing hard? Is that experiencing physical stress or is it a psychological thing? Is aggression, about how you use your attention. I would say this uh, second one. And if you look at uh, Olaf Lundenes, for example, before before he starts middle or long distance races, he's breathing really. Uh, yeah, we noticed <laughs> heavily for the start already, and I think he's putting his his mind into into this uh, competition form. And um, his uh, his mind is ready for the race, and uh, of course he's physically ready too. But he's uh, not doing it uh, dangerously, <laughs> aggressively. <laughs> so he's just preparing himself to to be as fast as possible. And okay. Uh, I, actually, I have done that same, and if. if it feels quite good. Yeah. So what does that feel like 
experientially? How do people know that they're getting that psychological aspect correct? What are the things to look for? During the first controls, like if you get it done rightly for three or four legs, you could do this in one training, for example. Just stop when you have done for first controls without mistakes and everything has worked well. Stop the uh, training there. And uh, then if you are using GoPro or some other GPS, of course, but uh, write down your every thought and uh, feeling about those legs and uh, of course carefully analyze what did you think about the map and what features did you see mm -hmm. to learn which is the perfect way to start a middle distance race. Mm -hmm. I'd be tempted to expand that at least for people who have a, a brain anything like mine is like what things did you think about like out of anything just what thoughts came into your mind and what i find is that half of the things i think about are just not even relevant to orienting <laughs> they're like completely distractions yeah. and and that's the difference for me when i that's the most obvious indicator of whether i'm focused or not is like whether i'm thinking about contours or whether i'm thinking about lunch and and yeah it's hard to I've got a I've got a way of measuring whether I'm successful or not, but it's hard to to know how to get into that right state. And it looks like Londonese has found a way to get his mind ready so that as soon as he picks over that map, the world disappears. It's like no, there's a big mess going in inside his head too. <laughs> yeah, okay, everyone's he, got he it. He doesn't he doesn't show it to us. Okay, but I've been his clubmate for two years, so I. I got to know him pretty well, and uh, yeah, I can ask you. You said there's a big okay. mess in, inside so his head too. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's battling. Some people are yeah. controlling the battle better yeah, than others. Better. Mm. But it's kind of relieving to know it mm. that uh, no one is machine. Except Tim Robinson, maybe like trying to get <laughs> trying to get tips from him. It's like, like honestly, I think the world disappears when he when he picks up a map. So maybe okay. he's maybe he's very special, uh, but he he tends to like not notice other things that have gone on. Uh, he at least this is what he when I when I've when we've talked about this and we did a podcast on it just about what Orientarian feels like for him, and it's it seems to be easier for him to pick up the information on the map because his brain isn't distracted by other things. Like if, if I wasn't distracted, I I'd have twice as much time to look at the map. Like I, I think like it's honestly like 50% of what's going on in my head is, is distraction. There's a lot of, a lot of wasted mental space there. And I think Tim has less distraction. Yeah. Um, obviously I'd have well, to get him to, to clarify, but that's, that's what I've taken. Like he doesn't notice the crowds. He doesn't notice anything that's not relevant to him and his root choice and yeah it's that's quite quite interesting that he's i'm sure there's a few other people like him but it's it's it is reassuring to know that people even like london is are, are battling battling yeah mentally. yeah i don't see 
for example, mushrooms in the terrain, or <laughs> if, if there are some big mooses or some bigger animals in the forest, of course, I noticed them and other orienteers, but uh, my method has been regarding other orienteers, that mm. when I see them, I just look at the map and check where those people are. So mm. kind of, so I'm putting them out of my distractive mind, <laughs> already distracted mind. Yeah, well, that's interesting because it's inevitable that first your attention jumps to this other runner. Like that's mm. what we do is they jump in. But having a trick like that to then bring your attention back to to map reading yeah. is quite useful. So I think that's a really good tip is check where they are on the map and now you're back in orienteering mode mm. instead of instead of trying to look at whether they look fresh or tired <laughs> like that yeah. is not helpful i actually learned this by myself when i was 18 years old because i, I was uh, battling with this because I, I started to follow the others i wasn't so <laughs> good at that moment yet but uh, it helped me a lot but there are a lot, of, lot more tricks to put those distracting things aside. Okay, we've got some more. Got some more to share. I need some <laughs> help. <laughs> well, for example, if you continue your uh, middle distance race, do you often have those distracting uh, thoughts? Uh, in the end of the race, um, in the middle, in the f uh, start, you have those. I'm sure about that because yep. I have them, and Lundanes and Sorofu has has them. Yeah. But uh, during my middle distance, those often diminish quite a lot when I got it right at the beginning of the race. Yeah, I think I I agree, with the exception of when I'm like really smashing it. Yeah. Like if I'm like on a winning race, then I start getting like a bit too excited. But yeah, if I'm, yep. you know, going for like a, a good, a really satisfying race, then yeah, I'm less distracted. If I've made a big mistake at number two, I'm like sad for the rest of the, <laughs> sad for the rest of the race. Yeah. That happens to me. I could example uh, this year I was competing in Finnish champs in men. 21 elites and uh, uh, there was only about one and a half kilometer to the finish and i started to feel like i'm getting a medal i'm 40 years old and wow. I'm getting a medal here and of course it, i couldn't uh, deal with it i haven't been at that level for a long time so i started to make small mistakes and ended up sixth it was a very good result but still <laughs> somehow it broke my uh, mm. performance a bit small things but yep can you can you jump back to that race and just imagine maybe one of those last controls and what thoughts are supposed to be in your mind or what thoughts would you have preferred to be in your mind at certain moments and what thoughts were actually in your mind at those crucial moments can you recall mm. yes of course i can and uh, I did put some effort to uh, check those um, 
control takings very carefully and I did those for for about two and two thirds to the controls but some controls weren't sufficient enough and I started to think shit I'm probably <laughs> losing the medal now and putting more effort to be mistake free to the finish and my speed reduced a bit and uh, mm -hmm. it wasn't nice but I lost maybe 20 seconds to the medal at the end so mm -hmm. didn't crash it up totally but I just didn't have the strength to ask myself the important question where is the control <laughs> what right, do I right. need to uh, attack it safely and okay so was there a moment where you were coming in you know in, in approximately the right direction going yeah. fairly fast and yeah. what what should you have done were you thinking i must find this control and you're just looking into the terrain as opposed to oh, i must find this control let's check more details on the map yeah i i had maybe one attack point but it was on the wrong side of the... I remember one uh, slope control. I was still third, or very close to metal. And I had uh, one attack point, but it was so far away and down slope compared to my control point. That I went to low on the slope and just... Uh, had to stop and figure out where in, where am I and <laughs> it took time and yeah, that's a nice <laughs> memory. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always it's always hard and I remember as a as a junior I would get in a situation, yeah, where I was like running fast and like, yeah, 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 this is great and then I'd do something strange and I'd get to the finish and the feedback was always like oh you should have used this feature you should have used that this other feature or you didn't check your compass or something whereas i like to go back uh, another step and and think about like what was actually going through my mind like why didn't i check the compass because like you don't have to tell me to check the compass i know this this isn't something i don't believe i should have done but what was why did I choose to do something else? Or why was I so distracted? Or why could I not undistract myself? So I think some of us fall into that camp where instead of seeing the problem as like, I didn't, I didn't know to use two attack points. It's like, why was I so cocky to think that I shouldn't, that I could only have this one poorly placed attack point. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, I think so. So it's, it's how can you like trigger your thoughts to make the hard decisions at the right time? Uh, by lowering the speed. Yeah. When you know this, that this is not enough. I have only this basic rule that I should lower my mm -hmm. speed a bit then I'm able to watch the map look at the map 
more carefully and also to observe the terrain better. Okay. Right. So you're slowing Basically, down a little bit, but you're also increasing map reading and increasing observation observe. of the terrain. Yes. Okay. Because I, it's like a, you have the shit in your pants already. <laughs> now it's <laughs> time to correct it. <laughs> and it, it won't take so much time. It takes only five seconds and you yeah. won't lose the race there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's really important because at least again, just talking about my experience is I would, I, I can, now that I've studied my own technique enough, I can notice that I have a feeling before I'm making a mistake. There's like, everyone has that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this isn't, this isn't good technique. I'm like, not really that sure. Like, instead of being able to say I'm here, like with a pinpoint on the map, I'm right here. It's like, I'm in this area and I drew like, like a centimeter circle on the map. I'm like, I'm kind of in that area somewhere. And like, that should be the signal. It's like, if you, if that's how you're describing your current situation, yeah, then you've got shit in your pants and you like deal with the biggest problem first, right? Like yeah. <laughs> fix that problem and then get back to this winning race that you thought you had. Yeah. It's kind of simple, but still very hard to execute in a competition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and maybe it helps did you do anything before the race that helps to get your mind into that state where you're like you're taking things seriously you're not so scared and stressed that you're not going to be aggressive physically but you're serious enough that you're going to be disciplined mentally how do you get yourself into that situation before a race mm. I go through with these thinking models, of course. This that you need to stop beforehand, and uh, you should plan ahead all the time. And, mm. and if you don't, nothing bad happens. Then take it easy. Those are my basic methods before the race. And otherwise, I try to breathe easily, and because I'm really excited before all, all the races, even small races, mm. even though I have done uh, thousands of orienteering races, I'm still very excited <laughs> and uh, I, I, I just go through all, all of these uh, models that could happen during, during a race and how should I uh, react to different happenings inside the race are you also like visualizing some of these situations like you're imagining some example of this happening and you're imagining yourself responding correctly yeah yeah exactly okay it's kind of like a practice it's like a, a virtual practice yeah i'm looking movies how i do there in the forest and mainly yeah. positive things sometimes mm. if it if the Challenge is uh, really big, like in Finnish champs nowadays or in world champs before. During my elite career, I did also some some of these. Uh, it will soon crash scenarios and how to handle handle it. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's quite good because I know a number of people that um, I've been involved in coaching uh, are still like very talented navigators and doing really well. But then one in five races is a complete disaster. And yeah, I think that's kind of the skill that needs to be um, developed more mm. at the, the, the kind of the junior age where you're going from like youth to junior elite and your consistency you're like your talent's really high but consistency is quite low there's always a phase i think we all go through where we yeah. have some amazing races and some terrible races before we kind of get ourselves a bit more mature and i think this is what we notice is they know how to orienteer well when oh. things are going well but then don't know how to fix small issues when they pop up and small issues turn into just the craziest the craziest problems and that's what i remember as well as when i was 18 and 17. yeah so the yeah, visualizing the the mature response to these stressful situations and visualizing how you're going to respond early to the indications that you're yeah. you need to, to feel out of control or something like that so does that wrap up middle distance is that really the main challenge with middle distance i guess there's also this emphasis on being able to pick out the unique features in the terrain is that something that you put emphasis on yeah i would say that and the middle distance is always and of course relay relays are always some kind of battle all the time with your mind but it's the same battle for everyone and those who are willing to take it more easily it's just sports it's just orienteering and uh, those who tend to take it easily during the race those will be really success successful in the end because as it is important to you to make it well in the race then you know that you have time there in the forest with the map and also observing the terrain and looking into your feelings as well yeah i think it's really good to and the visualization helps with that as well like it makes sense when everyone mm. is asked that question in like a serious conversation they're like they tend to give the right answer but how do you do that under stress yeah is a matter of practice and uh, visualization is like a, a virtual practice so the more of that you can do the probably the better so have you done much sprint orienteering has that been something that's been part of your elite career i guess it wasn't quite so big when you were growing up no and the races were quite different but i have always liked it because it's mm -hmm. uh, so uh, rootless <laughs> yeah if you yeah. make the wrong routes you always lose some time but very nice way to practice orienteering and uh helpful for the other other disciplines as well what do you see the main challenge of sprint orienteering being i would say it's 
uh, that you should read uh, all the time you should read the next controls as I have understood it's uh, like before you punch the control you should already know your way all the way to the next control right all the way so pushing this even further than what we were talking about in the long distance where with the long distance it's good to understand the key parts and how you're going to make them as safe as possible but are you saying with sprint orienteering you need to understand every piece of the next leg yeah before you punch exactly. yeah scary yeah. i would <laughs> scary. i don't have the means to do that i'm better at handling the difficulties in at certain point of the orienteering course but uh, i'm not not good in planning big masses of information <laughs> mm. during the whole course. Yeah, it's, it's very intense. And if you get slightly behind, then it becomes very stressful. True. Yeah. So how do you allocate your attention in, in, in sprint orienteering? Are you just trying to look, bring the map up to your face? You know, as as much as possible. Like every every moment that you're not going around a corner, you're trying to read something. How how do you approach it? Yeah, that has been my approach, but I I have never been very good sprinter when it comes to nowadays sprint courses. So that works for me. Just read them up all the time to be sure which is the fastest way and how to be on the right track all the time. So how do you handle that urge in such a short race to push harder? Because that's competing with the urge to bring an arm up and look at the map. Urge, like a a hurry yeah yeah you're like you have two two competing things that you have a a strong desire to run really fast because it's such a short race and a really strong desire to look at the map because it's so intense Mm. obviously that's the challenge like it's not a great answer of course course. yeah as i said i haven't been that good in Mm. sprint orienteering so i don't have a clear answer but uh, yeah, yeah, often I push too much. <laughs> yeah, same. I, I like racing. I like being competitive and I like pushing myself physically and and I'm also not stressed enough. I, I come into it with a sense of confidence when I should be going into it with a, a sense of, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a mistake. I'm going to make a mistake. So like, if I feel like I'm about to make a mistake, I put a lot of effort into making sure I don't. Yeah. Whereas I'm like confident and like, yeah, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this until I like, clearly don't have this. So, Actually, I have, a, I have a question for you. Do you feel uh, that as a positive thing in your orienteering that you feel kind of uh, this fear that am I going to find the control? Yeah. Um, it, it, it really depends. It goes one of two ways. And it's all about the thoughts that happen next. So if I have a sense of 
kind of fear about not finding the control or a concern, then to recognize that concern, you then, and this is like the visualization practice is the fear appears, like you have this emotional concern and then you go to the map. What am I looking for? What stands out? Do I know exactly where I am? If I don't, where's the best way to relocate? And so having the discipline to do that is good. Whereas I've spent most of my years orienteering doing, okay, I'm not really sure it'll work out. Stay on the <laughs> compass and I'll find something. Right. And yeah, we, like, we all know how that ends. Like sometimes, it, sometimes you're like, oh yeah, sweet. There's that big boulder. Now I know where I am, but like most of the time it doesn't work quite so well. So it's all, it all, you've got to take it as an individual and, and really ask yourself and observe your own mind when you're out in the forest and you're trying to orienteer. You have this feeling that comes up of uncertainty and, and fear and concern. What do you do next? And what should you be doing next? And how do you channel that concern into something that's positive? And I like to think about, like, think back to school or university. Like, when, when are you most productive at university I, I can tell you when i'm most productive is like the last four hours before the project is due like before that exactly. assignment is due those last four hours i am so productive like you have to get that shit done <laughs> and you get it done you get it done you get it done in four hours and why is that there's this immense concern and it drives you into a state of focus mm -hmm. and but then there's something that is like so terrifying that you just have a panic attack and like give up and then there are things that maybe you don't care enough about and you're just like ah oh, it's just stressful i just totally forget about it so we can respond in different ways and it's important just to notice what happens to your emotions when you have some sort of stress or concern put upon you and how you how you respond to that and you might see, yeah, different situations like studying, I think is an obvious one. Most of us respond in a similar way and knuckle down and get the project done. And with orienteering, are you going to be more in that camp where you, you have a concern? I don't know where I am. I better like knuckle down and work this stuff out as quick as I can. Or are you going to be the kind of person who's like, ah, I don't really care that much. Or like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm done anyway. Like, <laughs> My project's pretty pretty awesome already, like super cocky, which is, I, I guess, that sense of overconfidence is more how I was when I was younger. True. Yeah, that's how I'd, how I'd answer. But it's tricky. You've got to really look inside your own head when you're running. And I think it's good to notice what techniques you're also using and talk about orienteering in terms of technique. But then it's also good to, to notice the emotions and the experience and how you're responding to those situations as a totally another layer. I would actually say that it's the most important thing okay. when you try to develop yourself as, as an orienteer. If you don't know your own thoughts, it's generally speaking very hard to develop as an orienteer. Hmm. But some of the people are not uh, very fancy to go in inside their heads and uh, be a different properly. Mm -hmm. Then those for those people, I have tried to 
give hints that maybe this would be a right way to explore explore your mind by maybe watching your own GoPro material mm -hmm. and uh, that has some if they can't for example write their thoughts how they orientate or draw them but there are still multiple ways to go inside your thoughts and uh, make some notes which uh, you should follow in your next orienteering mm. sessions. Yeah, I think I what I used to do is write down just beside each each leg, like one to twenty, you know, da, da, that what I should have done to improve it. And I didn't find that that was really working for me because what I needed to do is write down all the things that I was supposed to be doing on each leg. Not just the one thing that I thought would have saved me, but like all of the things along the way. And I think what right. it would have revealed is that I'd use like, say the leg's like 400 meters long. I'd use like one feature at 200 meters and then like some attack point close to the control. And that would have, that, that would have made it more obvious earlier on that I wasn't really navigating very thoroughly the whole time as opposed to just like oh yeah if i'd have seen the if i had seen the big hill like <laughs> i would have been fine which is kind of the way i was initially writing it's like oh well if my compass bearing was better i would have found it but it's like there are so many things that i wasn't doing that yeah so i, I basically i think your way is best i think you should be able to describe to somebody all of the little things that you could have noticed or should, or should have noticed on the way. Yeah. Yeah. Also, those you were good at, because the strengthnesses are mm. of, often. People should be aware about their strong weapons in orienteering. Yeah. yeah, especially as everyone is going to have a slightly different style. Exactly. You need, you, yeah, if you can't actually understand what your strengths are, then you're just copying the person next to you who may or may not have the same strengths as you. Probably some different strengths, some different weaknesses. True. Yeah. Okay. And what about relay? That's, uh, I mean, it's kind of similar to to middle. Maybe there's some root choice stuff as well, but like it really is very psychological, I think. It's very stressful. Yeah, it is. I was really good when I was a young orienteer in relays and <clears throat> already when I was 90 years old I was running for this Asko Pohjantahti and I was on Fort leg in Yukola and lead it the whole relay <clears throat> for wow. half of the leg and somehow it was one of my nicest memories <laughs> still and uh, wow but uh, i don't know <laughs> if i have done so many really good relay relay orienteers because um, even though i have this good uh, way to deal with other orienteers i still tend to want to win them <laughs> all mm. when when it comes to, to the last parts of the 
of the leg and uh, I start to uh, lose control with my own <laughs> orienteering just want to beat beat out my rivals and that's stupid of course mm -hmm. so again that's another challenge that people can can look at can you notice the point when you're running in a relay race or, or a mass start or a chasing start and can you notice that moment when you spend 10 seconds thinking about what somebody else is doing and can you notice that at the start of that 10 seconds as opposed to at the end of that 10 seconds because that's all the difference that's losing contact and and staying in control i think that's the, ch the challenge of of making progress and actually learning as a as an individual athlete yeah it's true nowadays when i'm not the fastest runner in, anymore in the relays i have to deal with this thing that somebody is running there all the time in the front and i should follow him and i should keep up with my own orienteering <clears throat> nice way to have new challenges at this age <laughs> yeah yeah it's your strength uh, just like you were saying like check, check your strength and weaknesses and maybe check them again because maybe they've changed <laughs> yeah true true yeah well i hope that wasn't too deep for people i hope people can can follow along but it, it is tough and i do think it's worth people trying to understand exactly what they're trying to achieve in their orienteering as as soon as they can and it, it's great that I th it sounds like when did you really feel like you had understood the true challenge of orienteering at what age i think i was i was only 19 or something okay <clears throat> but i i did very hard work during two years because when i was 16 i did one analyzing form to check up my own uh, all orienteering races and trainings and look at the sheet and it was all black it meant that i had made really much mistakes on basically all the races and uh, then i decided now i want to use the speed um, Basically, I'm not running maximal speed at all. Just taking it easy that I find all the controls without mistakes. And then I started to learn more about orienteering and all these psychological aspects. That uh, it's so much easier to dig into your own mind when you can memorize everything from your performance mm. yeah but that's interesting and that's pretty cool you managed to do it at, at that yeah. age and i guess that shows you probably wouldn't have had such consistent res results as a, a young 20 year old if you hadn't have established that i think i can safely report i think i was around 24 when i like finally clicked as to what my problem was my problem was concentration and thinking about the wrong things i'm actually quite a good navigator but i spend more time thinking about lunch than navigating 
and noticing that it was just one year like suddenly like my performance just went up and every race was so much more straightforward it was obvious i went to europe and suddenly was running in unfamiliar terrain and doing quite well like it was way more obvious because the habit i didn't need to rely on habits whereas in new zealand terrain i was like relying on habit from doing similar terrain all the time whereas yeah. suddenly i could go to neutral terrain and actually perform quite well on unfamiliar terrain because i'm much more concentrated and things are making sense and i don't need to rely on habit because i rely on reading the map which is mm. what you're supposed to be doing so um, that was that was an interesting time for me to when i fi- like finally kind of cracked it and i notice all the days that i do badly i think nine out of ten of my mistakes are because i'm distracted because i'm i'm actually not navigating it's not that i'm navigating badly i'm just <laughs> actually running i'm just <laughs> i'm trying to like i'm trying to beat someone like you say or mm. i'm actually just thinking about the last leg i made a mistake on or i'm thinking about how i'm like winning and gonna win stuff like that so i think only one out of ten mistakes is actually like a misinterpretation of the the mapping yeah 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 Yeah. so familiar things to me as well yeah yeah that's interesting well thanks for sharing some time thank you Uh, to uh, you this is yeah um this is a really interesting discussion and i'm really glad we could kind of go through it uh, in that format and it's helped me to get a lot of my ideas out as well and i'd be interested to see what what people think of this and whether it um, helps a few other people to click into place and suddenly realize what they're actually trying to achieve with orienteering because it is really tough mm-hmm. and i think yeah as you're as both you and I will agree, we're we're both still trying to work it out. It's a lifelong trip. <laughs> it is. It is. It's it's really tough, and I think it's 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 such a tough sport. And I always feel like maybe that's why I like it is because there's so much analysis to do, and you can see where you've got to get to, and <laughs> you just never get there. <laughs> and you always feel like, okay, the next race, I've got it. The next race, I've got this down. I know how, and then like it doesn't work. <laughs> my my goal for uh, was for like ten years to make a perfect orienteering. It stated <laughs> yeah. on my homepage, and yeah. I have been really co- close wow. sometimes. Yeah, but I I really hope that people like this, and uh, as we both want clearly that uh, people would get everything or as much as possible out of this great sport. That would yeah. be really, really nice. Yeah, that's that's a great way to finish. Thank you, Pasi, for your time. Thank you, too. If you're enjoying the Perfect Flow podcast and want more value from it in the future, there are some ways you can support it. The first is to rate or leave a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or other platforms where it's available. The second is to share this podcast or specific episodes on social media or with friends. The third is to get involved more directly through the Perfect Flow page on Facebook, where I'm trying to construct a more interactive community. I want Perfect Flow to belong to the listeners, 
and if you tell me what topics you're most interested in, or even suggest specific guests, I'll do my best to make it happen. This is your opportunity to be part of something that answers your questions and adds value to your life. Another good reason to follow Perfect Flow on Facebook is that I post links to episodes, blog posts, and anything I find useful to this page. It's a great way to follow my training, racing, and learning. Another great way to stay engaged is to subscribe to genebeverage.nz. This way you will get podcasts and blogs emailed to you, avoiding the clutter of Facebook. I don't know where this project will take us, but the reception so far has been positive. Who knows where we might be in a few years.